Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and welcome to the Elemental Birthday Party in which we are fitting all the chemical elements because the periodic table has turned 150 this year. I'm Alison Balance. And I'm Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology and in episode 85 today we are up to thorium. Now knowing, once again... Nothing about this element. Can I ask if its name, T-H-O-R, is anything to do with Thor the God? Actually, yes, indeed it is. With thunderous applause, I can confirm that it is named Thorium, after Thor, the Norse god of thunder. Well, that was a lucky guess, (laughs) and it has exhausted my pile of lucky guesses about this element, so you'd better fill me in. Okay, here we go. Vital statistics. Elemental symbol TH and atomic number 90. And so that's another element that sits near the bottom of the periodic table. And that means that like every element past bismuth at atomic number 83, all of its isotopes are radioactive. So thorium was isolated from a sample of the mineral thorite, and that was discovered in Norway in 1828 and identified as a new element by, who else? Jörns Berzelius, who we have certainly heard of before uh, in Elemental. He also discovered cerium and selenium. Of course he did. (laughs) I knew that. And going through all of these elements and just the sheer number of them that were discovered in Norway, Sweden, Finland, Scandinavia, call it what you will. Boy, I bet they're having a big party for the uh, big periodic table birthday this year. I am sure they are. <laughs> Back to thorium and remarkably, well, to us nowadays anyway, the defining feature of thorium, its radioactivity, wasn't actually discovered until 1898. And that made it the second element after uranium to be actually classified as radioactive. I hope in the intervening 70 years there weren't too many people having a good poke around at it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, is there lots of it? Yeah, well, it's relatively common. It's either the 37th or 38th most abundant element in the Earth's crust, depending on which book you read. And this means there's much more thorium than elements like tin and arsenic and Very importantly, uranium. And in fact, there's around about three times as much thorium as there is uranium. And also, there might be plenty more in the Earth's core, but nobody really knows. And this is the interesting thing about thorium. It's estimated that there is more energy available in terrestrial thorium than there is in uranium and all the fossil fuels combined. And that's quite a remarkable statistic. 
And it begs the question, why aren't we using it then? <laughs> Indeed. Well, we kind of are, but uh, an explanation is obviously in order here. So, we mentioned this briefly in the Protactinium episode. Oh, interruption. Oh. Protactinium. Yes. Which you claim in your recent nature chemistry paper, just doing some <laughs> skiting there on your behalf, <laughs> to you. be the most boring element. Yet oh. here we wait, we're, here we are citing it again, which I think is not bad for a boring element. But anyway, as you were, protactinium. Oh, now I didn't say it was boring necessarily, Alison, but um, you'll, you'll you know, have to go back and read that paper, I think. So. <laughs> well, I know you tried to claim that nothing was boring. Indeed. That's, that was the tenet of the whole thing, anyway. But, <laughs> as, as I was saying, okay, so as we mentioned in this protactinium episode, if you bombard thorium-232, this isotope with neutrons, you will get thorium-233, and then that decays rapidly with a half-life of 22 minutes to protactinium-233. And then that decays with a half-life of 27 days to uranium-233. And that's the whole point of this, because uranium-233 is a fissionable nucleus and can undergo a chain reaction. So in other words, it's a source of nuclear power. Now, nuclear power gets a bad rap because of all the nasty stuff it leaves behind. Well, thorium is way cleaner than uranium-powered stations. So 83% of its waste will decay within 10 years, while the remainder will only last 300 years as opposed to the thousands of years for the waste generated from uranium. Now, at this point, it's probably wise to recap the important points of the dangers of radiation. So a little lesson here. So the two most important factors in determining the danger of radioactive nuclei are the half-life of the nucleus and the type and energy of the decay. So a long half-life means that not many particles are being emitted per unit time. And so therefore, long-lived nuclei, all things considered, are generally less dangerous than short-lived nuclei. Now, of course, the short-lived nuclei are going to be around for a shorter time, so if their radiation can be adequately contained, they're going to disappear relatively quickly. Thank you. <laughs> now, this all sounds terribly useful, so why hasn't the world rushed to build thorium power stations? Because there's lots of technical hurdles to be overcome, especially as thorium is apparently a bit like wet wood. It'll ignite eventually, but it takes a lot of energy to get the reactor rolling. Now, India has plans for a thorium reactor uh, for the reason that uh, they actually have plenty of thorium. Lots of it found in the sand around Kerala's beautiful beaches. I wonder if the tourists know that. <laughs> so the Indian government has been promising a thorium reactor for decades, in fact, but still it doesn't seem to have happened. OK, not holding my breath on that future source of safer nuclear power. Any other uses? <laughs> Well, as you'd expect for a radioactive element, not too many other uses for it. Its oxide was used in a thing called the Welsbach mantle, uh, and that was invented in 1884. And that's a gas mantle which emitted an incandescent white light when heated. And um, gas mantles actually revolutionised street lighting until they were superseded by electricity in the early 1900s. But these mantles are still used in camping lanterns. Oh, I love those things. <laughs> but they're so tricky to get right. You tie this fabric sack onto your gas lantern, mm -hmm. then you set fire to it, and it burns down to create this really fragile, gossamer-like globe, which is incredibly easy to break. <laughs> yep, indeed. So... 
chemically, that original knitted cotton net bag is actually impregnated with soluble nitrates of particular metals, thorium included. When you light it, the cotton burns away, uh, the nitrates are converted to nitrites, and these fuse together to form that solid mesh that you're talking about. And now if you continue this heating, the nitrites finally decompose into this fragile mesh of solid oxides, has a very high melting point. And in fact, thorium dioxide has a melting point of around 3,300 degrees Celsius, which is one of the highest of all known oxides. Now, thorium was used in these mantles because at high temperatures, the light emitted by thorium is nearly all in the visible spectrum. And that means thorium mantles are really bright. They don't waste their energy emitting ultraviolet or infrared. Now, not surprisingly, I guess, thorium is no longer used in mantles for camping lanterns. Funnily enough, there's been health concerns over the release of the radium-224 isotope, and this saw manufacturers change to yttrium mantles. And they had already had to change from asbestos ties on the mantles. So health impacts were fine for users such as occasional campers, but really quite bad for people who made the mantles. I can understand that. Yeah. Hey, thorium is actually doing pretty well so far. Those are two quite interesting uses. Anything else? Yep, thorium dioxide. It finds use in high refractive index glass for high-quality camera lenses. And that's about it. <laughs> Fair enough. This is the end of our chemical, I suppose you'd call it a thunderstorm. <laughs> Bit of a damp squib, maybe, but at least I know how gas mantles work, so thanks for that. <laughs> you can find more incendiary trivia at rnz.co.nz slash chemistry. Or hunt out some more RNZ elemental highlights wherever you listened to this podcast. We're back next week with Thulium, but until then, it's cheerio from me, Alison Balance. And me, Alan Blackman. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.